This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 839 with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 839. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Stephanie Wilder-Taylor is a past guest of the SMA, one of my very favorite podcasters, my beloved memoir writing teacher, and the author of Drunkish, a memoir of loving and leaving alcohol, which is coming out on January 16th. So if you're listening in live time, that's next week. Go get the book. Pre-orders help authors so, so much. Or if you're listening a little bit past that, still go get the book because Stephanie wants to be a contender to be a New York Times bestseller. So let's help her get there. In addition to all the roles I just mentioned, Stephanie is also a TV personality and the co-host of the popular podcast for Crying Out Loud, which is the only parenting podcast I listen to, by the way. And when I say parenting podcast, it's in air quotes because, you know, it's like 50-50. Half of what they talk about is what not to do as a parent. But I have learned so much through their really, really funny anecdotes around how to parent in maybe non-conventional ways, how to take parenting a little more lightly, how to get over yourself and your ego as a parent, and all sorts of other good stuff. Stephanie also co-created and hosted the late-night comedy parenting show, Parental Discretion, with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor for Nick Mom on Nickelodeon. And her previous books include Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, Naptime is the New Happy Hour, It's Not Me, It's You, I'm Kind of a Big Deal, and Gummy Bears Should Not Be Organic. She's appeared on Good Morning America 2020, The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Phil, Larry King Live, and Today. And she lives in LA with her husband, her three beautiful teenagers, and her dog, Penelope. And if you listen to her podcast, 
you might know that Penelope's her favorite of them all. <laughs> so I was so excited to have Stephanie come back on the show to talk about Drunkish. This book is a really, really important book, but also Stephanie knows how to dig into hard topics and share from a place of deep transparency and vulnerability while also making you laugh like you didn't know you needed to laugh when talking about something really, really intense and kind of dark. So listen in to hear Stephanie share how she rationalized her addiction for decades, what her slow burn to full-blown problematic drinking looked like over time, her lowest moment of driving her children while drunk, how she had to shift her identity from being an author who writes about mom drinking and even promoting mom drinking to writing about being a sober mom, how she managed her diagnosed anxiety after of getting off of alcohol and Xanax, and how she was outed 10 days into her sobriety by the New York Times and how she managed that and a whole bunch of other things that will come up in this conversation that is just like, it's two good friends talking about stories from hard days. So this conversation was a lot of fun. I know you're going to enjoy listening to Stephanie talk. She shares a lot about her journey and her story into what, you know, was really drinking that looked really culturally acceptable for a very long time into drinking that became really problematic and what that can look like for other people. I think you're going to find your story relatable in a lot of different ways. So I think you're going to get some goodness out of this and probably want to share it out. And of course, when you're all done, definitely go get drunkish. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Stephanie Wilder Taylor to the Shameless Mom Academy. Stephanie, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. And we're going to be talking about your new book and all the big things right now. It's been too long, Sarah. I have almost forgotten about our last episode. So forgive me if I repeat myself. All good. I actually was this morning like, what did we talk about about again that first time? So so both the same. Like when you get to a certain age, you don't remember anything past yesterday. So it's all good. Past this morning. Right. right. See what I had for breakfast. And it's only 1123. Totally. I joke on the show and I've said it actually on other place in other podcasts where I've been interviewed too, that the only parenting podcast I listen to is for crying out loud, which is your parenting podcast. And then I always put like parenting podcast in air quotes because a lot of it's like what not to do, but <laughs> I laugh so hard. I learn so much. Your kids are older. You're and Lynette, your co-host kids are older than Vinny. And so I feel like I know what's coming. I'm already like having anxiety for like high school drinking and applying to colleges. And like, so thanks for that. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's how I came to know of you was through for crying out loud. But then during the pandemic, I was a writing student of yours. And so anyone who has heard me talk about my writing teacher, it was Stephanie. And so it's exciting to be here. Like on the other, I feel like I get to direct you now instead of you directing my writing. (laughs) You're so talented. I just want everybody who's listening to this should know that Sarah is a brilliant writer. So funny so deep. You wrote about a lot of different topics too. And, and then did my uh, zoom storytelling show several times. Yeah, I mean, you're so good at it. I on zoom for the zoom storytelling show. I, one of the times talked about doing a home birth. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like when I shared that as a podcast episode, I had to be kind of reverent about it. Cause it's like, you're talking about the birth of your child. It should be this really special thing, like really poignant. And when I did it for the storytelling show, it was like totally the opposite of that. So well, was, that's what memoir writing is about. Yes, you, know, you have to find, so you have to stop worrying about how it, how it looks, how it seems, who's judging you. And you have to just get to the nitty gritty and like tell on yourself. Totally. And 
such a great segue into what we're going to talk about today. So we're talking about your new book, Drunkish. And can you talk a little bit about telling on yourself in this book that this is like you've written other books, but this is, I think, more of a telling on yourself memoir than others. Well, I think in my previous books, I've always been a person who tells on myself. It's kind of my um, superpower. I don't know how I, I've just never really had much of a filter. So, but in the past, the telling on myself was almost by accident because like, for instance, when I I wrote Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, which was a very irreverent book about parenting, but I started writing that book when my oldest daughter was only a couple months old. So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was just saying things that I assumed people could relate to. And then was very surprised by the people who were like, how dare you say something so horrible about your child? Or, you know, I remember writing about not feeling love at first sight and Mm. not thinking that that was such an edgy thought, like just right. Nobody feels that way. Right. Like I can't be alone here. Like, how could you have love at first sight? Like you don't even know the person, like you're just meeting them for the first time. And then I only found out later that I was saying things you're not really supposed to say. So I think this is the first book where I said things that maybe people don't necessarily say out loud on purpose, because Mm -hmm. for me, this is a book about getting sober. This is about my really figuring out that I had a drinking problem and then deciding to do something about it. And the, all the struggle that entailed most of it having to do with denial And so I think that the most important thing to me that helped me get sober was hearing other people say these things out loud and talk about the things that they did and talk about the crazy thoughts they have and how their brain works. You know, the alcoholic brain is very tricky. And as I've heard a lot of people say, alcoholism is the only disease that tells you that you don't have a disease. So it's important for people to be willing to just talk about it And so, like I set out to be as painfully honest as I could be. And it's your superpower. So the book is going to be fabulous. Well, when I would, I, you know what, how I know, and I bet you can relate to this just as a writer. It's like, I know when I'm just kind of being honest because it's just what I do. And I know when I'm really hitting on some hard truths because of how it feels in my body. When I'm writing something and I feel super uncomfortable and icky and like, oh, I don't want people to know this about me. I know I'm doing it right. Yeah. Yes. 100%. And I felt that when you would push me on writing certain things, you'd be like, I feel like there's something else there. And I'm like, no, it, no, there's not. And then you're like, no, maybe no. there is. You're like, think about it for a week and let me come back. <laughs> Fine. I guess there was something else there. Damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. And then those are the best things, right? Yeah. Like those are the things that people relate to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Can you talk about choosing your own rock bottom. This is something that I think is so interesting because I think when we think about addiction, we do hear a lot about rock bottom moments, but I have never heard this framed in this way that you chose your rock bottom moment for yourself versus waiting to lose it all. And I know that the cost of rock bottom moments from knowing people who've struggled with addiction is there's often great, great loss involved. And so can you talk about choosing your rock bottom before that happened? Yeah. Let me, if we have a minute, let me just give you a little bit about like my drinking backstory. Sure. Uh, You know, I'd always been a drinker since I was 14 years old and discovered like going to parties and having drinks. I blacked out the very first time I ever, not the very first time I drank actually, but like from the second time that I drank, 
It was hard alcohol. It was like a punch. I was 14. I didn't remember a lot of things about that night the next day. I did not know for many, many, many years that that's not normal. Like I Mm -hmm. just thought, well, yeah, it's like alcohol and like your brain and like, okay, so it erases memories (laughs) like science. Hello. You know, (laughs) I don't think that's so weird. It wasn't until I got into recovery that I heard, oh yeah, that's not normal. Many Mm -hmm. people drink and do not have blackouts. So anyway, my drinking was a bit abnormal from the word go, but I really liked the effect of alcohol. I liked it. And it made a lot of things more comfortable for me. Like the first time I had sex, drunk, 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 and high on Coke, but we won't get into that. <laughs> that that's that a whole nother interview that we definitely need to do. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny because I don't see myself as even being that edgy or hardcore, but there is a part of the book where I talk about, it makes me laugh right now. It's not going to sound that funny, but I had this friend, this really good friend that we drank together a lot. And he was a comedian that I got it into my head one day that I'd never tried heroin and heroin. This is, I feel like I know where this is going and you're like, well, it's funny, but not funny. Yeah. It's not that funny, but it's a little bit funny in thinking about it. The point is I decided that like, that's something that anybody that really likes to feel calm and relaxed should try at some point in their life. And I think I wrote this in the book. I think I'd been reading a lot of like uh, Jay McInerney books where people like where everybody's just really crazy and parties all the time and, and they snort heroin. And I was like, I obviously don't want to inject it, but like, I want to try it. So we, we decided we were going to chase the dragon, which is you. Oh my God. So we went as far as he bought some heroin And we tried smoke, like breathing in the fumes and nothing happened, but I didn't get higher. Really nothing happened, but it's just funny because you would not meet me and go like, oh yeah, she's tried heroin. Like you just wouldn't. And also that she would think it's normal and that this is something that like everyone should do. Like it's a milestone. Like when you turn 19. Kingston era. Yes. Smoking heroin. Yes, Yes. (laughs) for sure. Okay. So anyway, so, so anyway, you were thinking I, you were quite normal, but then you learned maybe, I, maybe not so much. Well, I've always been in situations where I could normalize the way I drank. So yeah. for many years, I did stand up comedy from my early 20s. So yeah, I drank a lot heavily during my teens, but then I was in my 20s and I was partying a lot and going to bars for happy hour. And so was everybody else. Mm-hmm. Then I was a comedian comedians drink a lot. Like you're not, you know, it's nightlife. You're out at clubs, you're getting free drinks. So even though there were many signs that my drinking wasn't normal, such as I was drunk on stage a few times, I got in trouble a couple of times. I got not asked back to certain gigs, but I could always rationalize that like, yeah, but so does everybody else. But also I get so nervous going on stage. I need to have a couple of drinks. And so I can't always regulate how many I'm having, you know, it's all part of it. So though I was just able to really rationalize for a very long time. And I, even though I drove drunk tons of times, I, you know, got drunk and put myself probably in many situations, nothing catastrophic happened. I had no thing that I could look at and go, there's a rock bottom. So Mm -hmm. now cut to my late thirties, you know, I have a baby and I did not have much trouble not drinking during my pregnancy, which I've come to find out later is kind of a phenomenon that happens with a lot of women where 
if you're prone to anxiety, sometimes when your body is flooded with hormones, like at the beginning of the pregnancy, I felt crappy and I was puking all the time and, you know, felt like I had the flu and I didn't want to drink. Then I started getting the good hormones where I had a reaction to pregnancy, which was, I felt kind of calm and same. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I was my most zen self I've ever been in my life after I got over the first trimester and feeling horrible. And I remember people being like, you're kind of high strung in life in general. Like, so just like be easy on yourself in pregnancy. And I was like, I am like, I'm taking naps every day and kind of living in this zen state. I don't even know who I am. Same. (laughs) Amen. It it gave me this mistaken, I had this delusion that I was now like easygoing. So, (laughs) right. I didn't, that I was so much less irritable. Like it was weird. I had a second, I had the baby though, out the window, like hormones Mm. plummeted. And then I was like, oh God, I need something to take the edge off. So I had had a C-section so first thing was like the pills after the Vicodin after having, and I was like, oh, that's a relief to have to like feel. And then of course that stopped probably if it was up to me, I would have probably been, had a pill problem, honestly, mm-hmm. but I'm too lazy. And I'm like, I'm going to have to doctor shop. I'm going to have to yep. call the doctor and tell him I'm still in pain. Like there's going to be a lot of lying and involved and I'm just, or ordering phone calls. Like, a lot of phone calls. I'm not in the mood. So 
I went back to like what's accessible, Trader Joe's wine, you know? So the drinking started ratcheting up when I had LB. And then, you know, I started writing a book about having a baby and I was online and on blogs. And it seemed to me that this is what we were all doing. Like people were having their wine and it was also very acceptable and very funny and on trend Mm -hmm. and like in the mom culture, like Mm -hmm. rosé all day. Right. I mean, this was Mm -hmm. quite normalized. It wasn't for like two years, probably that I started to go, I just feel like I need my wine more than everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it was a, like a secret that was in my head that was like, something feels not right about this. But again, I wasn't doing anything super embarrassing. I mean, I had a baby. I wasn't drinking in the morning. I wasn't doing, I'm very slowly getting you to my bottom. I picked myself, (laughs) but it was hard because for me, I think I was like that frog in the boiling water, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, first I'm starting to notice that I'm drinking every single day and I can't take a day off. Even if I have the flu, I'll come up with a reason why, oh, well, that's good for when you're sick. It helps your sinuses. I'd come up with a reason so that I wouldn't feel like an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. If I'm an alcoholic, then I have to quit drinking. And I was not going to quit drinking. I really felt like it was helping me be calmer and patient and help with anxiety and a lot of things that it probably wasn't helping with. But I felt like I wasn't really hurting anybody, but maybe my liver. So Mm -hmm. then I had kind of an embarrassing thing happen where when LB was two at Halloween. So like right before she turned two, I got really drunk on Halloween and I was like, okay, enough. I am going to quit drinking. I don't want to drink anymore. And I did quit drinking. I'm kind of on my own for like a few months. And then I got pregnant with twins. Then I didn't drink through that whole pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. by the time I had them, even though I had them prematurely, it had been like almost a year from that. I hadn't had a drink. So in my mind, I was like, a lot of proof. Like I'm not, obviously I don't have a problem. Obviously I'm not an addict. I'm fine. And it was such a relief to me Mm. because I was like, well, now I've got newborn twins and a three-year-old. So like if there was ever a time to have a cocktail, right about now. (laughs) And then from there, it was exactly 18 months until I quit drinking. So alcoholism is progressive disease. You can stop drinking for a year, but alcoholism is not arrested. You know, it's, it's growing. So I started drinking again and it was fast. I was just like, I didn't, and again, I didn't start drinking in the morning. It was very still controlled but it was like every single night. And then I was mixing it with Xanax, which I had for postpartum anxiety. Everything was like, oh, I'm taking Xanax because I can't sleep because I'm a mom of three and mom have anxiety. And I'm drinking because I like to have my cocktails at night. I'm not telling the doctor who's giving me Xanax that I'm drinking on it. And I'm not telling, you know, I'm not where it says right on the bottle, like don't mix with alcohol and don't yeah, drive. I'm like, Sarah, <laughs> it's not for people like me who need it. Okay. Right. Right. I make my own serving suggestions. <laughs> so I'm going along. I'm trying to regulate my drinking. I'm now I'm trying to moderate. Now I'm like, 
Okay. I'm going to try to only drink on like every other day. Okay. I'm going to try to only drink on weekends and I'm going to try to not drink like Monday through Friday. Well, hold on. Friday's the weekend. Well, I mean, I was all these games I was playing in my head. Like I'd be like, I'm only going to drink on the weekend. Obviously Friday counts as the weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. But then I'd be like, well, I really need to drink during the week, probably more than I do on the weekend. Cause on the weekend, my husband's home to like help me. So I don't need to drink as much. Do you know what I mean? I'd have these oh. mind games. Um, yeah. So much going on all the time. Then it would be like, I can't do it. I can't do that. I can't do just the week. Okay. Finally, I hit this point where I was like, you know what? I am being way too hard on myself. I'm just going to drink every day because I'm somebody who likes drinking. And like, so do a lot of people. I'm not the only one. I'm just going to stop being so hard on myself. The problem is I'm being too hard on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just be gentle with myself. And that means like, I'm just going to drink every single day and not worry about it. I won't, obviously I'm going to limit it to two glasses. That's so normal. That's what tons of people do. I remember my parents uh, modeled, moderate drinking for me. They had a couple glasses of wine at dinner every night. No harm, no foul. That's what I'm going to do. And that is what I did, except for with me, it would be like three at least. And then, but here's the problem. My, my thing was, but I will never drink and drive. Like that would be dangerous. So I can drink if I'm home, which I was home all the time. But then one day I went to a friend's house who was having like some moms gathering like with their kids and everybody was drinking. So like I had a, I was like, well, I'll have a martini, but like, I'm not going to be driving for like a long time. The kids are happy there. There was a nanny there playing with all the kids. I felt so good. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fun. You know what? Being a mom is fun. <laughs> like I can still have fun. Like, look at me, I'm having a cocktail, but I'm being safe about it. And then this is cause this is how I drink. When I have one, I'm like, well, this feels really good. So two would be better. Then I have two. And the second one makes me feel even more fun and relaxed. And I go, God, I want to keep this feeling going. So I'll just have one more drink, but I'm going to sip it real slow. And then honestly, next thing I remember is my friend who I was with going like, are you sure you're going to be okay to drive? Cause I have to go because I'm going on a trip in the morning. So I have to leave, but are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm fine. Leave me alone. And of course I wasn't fine. I believe I might've even had one more drink. It was hard liquor, which not wine. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, um, feel fine. You know, I had two of the kids with me. I had uh, my older one who was four at the, who had was four at the time. And my, one of the younger ones who was 18 months, I drive home. My husband had been trying to call me like all evening, but I was very annoyed by that because I'm like, are you serious, dude? Like I have two of the kids with me. You only have one. Like what a joy to have one kid to watch for a few hours. Like, why is he still calling me? Why does he have so many questions? Like, leave me alone, <laughs> you know? He was probably worried mm -hmm. that I was drinking in yeah. retrospect. Anyway, I get home and he greets me in the driveway. And apparently I was very stumbly drunk. Oh, yeah. It was terrible, 
horrible thing that I did. And I could have really just blown up my entire life. And that is how I chose my bottom. Mm. I decided I was of course defensive that night. I still thought I was fine because um, this is a good indication that you have a drinking problem is when you always think you're fine, even when everybody else thinks you're drunk. Mm. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, I feel like I'm not slurring, like I'm completely in control. I don't know why people think that I'm drunk when I'm not drunk. Then I woke up in the morning with a horrendous hangover. And the first thing I thought was, oh my God, I was drunk. I was really drunk and I just drove my children home. Something that I would harshly judge anybody else for doing. That is not, I believed in my moral character, something just awful. And then I had my next thought was if I would do something like that, I must have been really drunk to think that I wasn't drunk. And I had this moment of clarity where I was like, I could go and tell my husband that I will never do this again. And my husband loves me and he knows I'm a good mom and he would of course forgive me and believe me. But I knew in my heart of hearts that if I drove this, if I was this drunk and I drove, how would I ever be able to promise that that wouldn't happen again? Because I didn't mean for it to happen in the first place. I never would think that that's a good idea or something anybody should do. So I could tell myself, okay, I'm going to drink at home, but if I go out, I will not even have one drink. But I was like, it's just going to be a fucking lie. I know I'll do it again. I know Mm -hmm. I was 42 at that time. It was 14 years ago, like 14 and a half years ago. So I just had an opportunity to change and I took it. I feel like that's a decent rock bottom story. (laughs) You know, but but I see your point about choosing it, but you, there wasn't a massive loss. Because I didn't get pulled over. I didn't get a DUI. I didn't have my kids taken. I've heard such worse stories since I quit drinking that my story sounds tame. Mm. But you know who it doesn't sound tame to is people who either are struggling with their drinking. You know, I mean, it's a a warning. Yeah. You know, it's a this could happen to you because from the outside, I looked pretty normal. I still had everything. I hadn't lost anything. My life had not, everything looked fine from the outside, but it was inside that I needed to make some changes in order to not feel anxiety all the time Mm -hmm. in order. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that I needed help. Right. I also appreciate you pointing out over the course of decades that everything you were doing was really culturally appropriate and very normal and very normalized within each of those cultural subsets. And so whether it's like teen drinking, totally normal comedian drinking, like loud, you know, late night working at clubs, totally normal. Right. Mom. Like, so the ease with which you could like find evidence to support that you are well within the range of normalcy is so abundant and clear. Right. So that you really do have to do this, be really honest with yourself in a way that is, I think, way more difficult than if you're like the person who's drinking in a household or community of people who were like, no one else is drinking at all. Very different than being in these in where it's very culturally normalized. When we talk about the insidiousness of mommy wine culture, I think this is where the slope gets so, so slippery because it's so 
normalized for moms to be drinking. So not only to use alcohol to medicate in various ways, but then also to do it communally to medicate. Yes. To bond. No, Um, I agree. To step away from that or recognize that like you need to live outside of that, I think is really significant. Years ago, after sippy cups came out, you know, and there were so many jokes about drinking. I became known as the reason anybody even cared when I quit drinking was because I was championing like mom's drinking and like, what does it hurt? And why should it be socially acceptable for dads to have a couple of beers at the game? But like people frown on moms for drinking because like, oh, you're watching your kids. My whole thing was like, yeah, cocktail play dates. We can be responsible parents and watch our kids and have a glass of wine. Like it shouldn't be this weird double standard. I went on the Today Show and talked about like the joy of having a glass of wine while watching your kids. So, and I still maintain that, yeah, having a glass of wine while watching your kids should not be, you know, frowned upon. But, you know, I wasn't lying when I was saying that, but I didn't realize you know, like you said, it's a slippery slope. It's like, but what happens when you feel like, oh, maybe mine is a little bit worse than just having a glass of wine. What happens when you start going like, oh, but one is good, but like, why do I have four? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then wake up with a headache or don't remember reading a story to my kid last night. Right. These are the stories that people message me and email me and say, you know, I, that was literally something that somebody said to me, like, I got so drunk, I passed out reading my kid a story. Well, that's not normal. Right. It's so tricky to have something that's so socially acceptable also be something that can be, that's also like, I want to say diagnostically so, you know, deadly. Yeah. It's really hard because, you know, it's not, having kids, like becoming a mom doesn't make anybody an alcoholic. We can certainly like abuse alcohol and uh, go through a hard time in our life. My husband had a period in high school and college where he drank way too much, like probably alcoholically, but he's not an alcoholic. Just doesn't have the, the, it's a combination of factors. This is why it's so tricky because you could be like, well, I'm drinking a bit more because I'm a mom And my life is, you know, I don't, I can't just go to the gym. Like when you have a new baby, your life changes so abruptly and the things that you have done for stress relief, you may not be able to do, right? You can't, maybe you don't have help, so you can't work out. So you can't like just get out of the house and go out with your girlfriends. So you, you know what I mean? So you're home and you're isolated and alcohol feels like something that helps with that. Does that mean you're suddenly an alcoholic? No. Like it means that we all need to feel like we can address, you know, we don't have to live that like that, right? but it's hard. We have to reach out and talk to other people. And if you have other, it's hard to say, because like I said, my mother and stepfather did not have addiction, but my biological father did. He was a major addict. So I think that I can, there's a, a lot of factors came together, chaotic childhood, father who was an addict. And then you just have to look at the way I drink mm-hmm. to go, oh, okay. It's clear that I, I was going to say, you can choose to see it really clearly if you're like open to seeing it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess what I'm just trying to be careful to not be like, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, if somebody has three glasses of wine, you're an alcoholic. Like, I'm just never going to be one right. of those people that thinks everybody's an alcoholic. 
Right, right. Well, and listening to your podcast, you when you talk to other moms, you're like, I hope you had a few drinks. <laughs> you're like, I know I can't, but like, I really hope you did. <laughs> I'm always trying to talk Lynette out of thinking that she has a problem. Yes. Lynette's yes. always like, I don't know. I might have a drinking problem. I'm like, you don't. <laughs> you're fine. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. You did mention anxiety earlier, and I want to dig into this a bit because as someone who's also been diagnosed with anxiety and can relate to like maybe needing some lubrication around that, Mm -hmm. can you talk a bit about what it was like navigating early sobriety as someone who really was conscientious of struggling with anxiety and really medicating with alcohol to manage that and then having to go into a whole bunch of sober first without another, or maybe you did have another means, but like, what was that like to manage that anxiety through a lot of those firsts? So it's funny because when I first, so I was taking Xanax when I, at the time that I got sober, I was still, I had a prescription for Xanax and you can't cold Turkey that you can't Mm -hmm. just go off of Xanax. Your body benzos are tough, a tough withdrawal. So, but I did understand that I needed to not be on anything addictive. So I had to titrate off of Xanax. And then I was, once I was off of Xanax though, and I wasn't drinking, I felt totally fine. I wasn't having really bad anxiety. I've heard so many people say that. Four months into it though, all of a sudden I was like, oh, holy hell, what is going on? Like I woke up feeling like gripped with panic Mm -hmm. and then it was really tough for a little while. And I didn't think I was going to be able to like stay sober. I was like, well, if this is how people feel, this sucks. I'm not going to be able yeah. to do this. But I talked to a bunch of other sober people and I was like, I don't think this is normal. I don't think other people feel like they, like I have been diagnosed with anxiety. Like I for real, for real have anxiety. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to, this is what happened. I told this person who was like helping me with my sober journey And I told her, listen, I think I really need to take Xanax because I'm truly have Mm. bad anxiety. And she was like, well, that's like between you and your doctor. So, you know, 
you should make an appointment with a psychiatrist. And like, if that's what they recommend, then like, that's what you do. And I was like, oh, she doesn't get it at all. Like, I'm not going to make an appointment. Like, I don't need to take a Xanax next week. I need to yeah. take one yesterday. Yes. Like, I am struggling. Yeah. And I just thought that when I realized that my thought process was so instant gratification and that this is how I've always been like, I, no, but I need to feel better today. It was like, well, this is what is the mental cycle that causes you to go, well, I have to have a drink. Right. Mm-hmm. So I realized, okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to feel better without Xanax. It's the only way, because yeah. if I take a Xanax to feel better then tomorrow, when I feel anxious again, then I'm going to be taking Xanax again every day, which mm-hmm. is of course, then I'm why not drink. Right. What I did was I talked it out with other people. I found somebody to like stay on the phone with me during the most painful, like when I was crawling out of my skin and slowly I got my mind off of it, went and ate some carbs, you know, went for a walk. I mean, all those things that I would have told you are just so stupid. Right. Like, that's not relaxing. <laughs> like I'm not taking a fucking bath with rose petals. Like, <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> totally. That's helpful. But <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't take a bath with rose petals. But you know, <laughs> I like I found solace in talking to other people who understood yeah. how I felt. And I always surrounded myself. Like I remember I went to a blogging conference right around that time. And I made sure that I connected with some other people that were sober that were also going to be there. And like, we had a little meeting, like me and the other sober people, like went to somebody's room and like hung out with each other and like took a break because these blogging conferences with these people can be crazy drinking. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's kind of, and then like slowly the anxiety dissipated and I'm still an anxious person. You know, you you hear me talk. (laughs) Yes. I'm still obsessive. But, and I, but you're so much like me. I just think it's normal. <laughs> Everyone's like that. It's just that it's not to the degree that I can't function yeah. in life. And it yeah, doesn't yeah. make me physically feel like it used to, like where I just feel like I'm crawling out of my skin. I don't feel that. Right. I'll just right. notice like, wow, I'm really overthinking this and it's making me uncomfortable. Like I, you know, it's like I'm a control freak. I'm still the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like getting sober didn't cure it. Didn't, didn't take it. It doesn't take away neuroses. No, <laughs> I'm a Jew and I'm neurotic <laughs> and I'm anxious. I'm all the things, but listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive drunk again if I don't yeah. drink. Yeah. I want to point out, you just mentioned the blog conference and creating your own little meeting in that situation, which I think yeah. is really cool. I was at a podcast conference like a year and a half ago. And they a really kind of large scale conference, thousands of people there. And they announced from the I want stage, to go to one of those. Uh, I have thoughts, but oh, okay. <laughs> we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, pros and cons. But one of the things that was really cool, they announced like early on the first day, they were kind of doing like housekeeping, like the bathroom's over there and we're going to break it this time, blah, blah, blah. And for anyone who is interested in recovery meetings, we have like every day at whatever, like the next three days at like 8am or something. Um, well, those meetings will be held in whatever room. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I've never been in an event where something like that has been called out. 
And then later, multiple people were like, that I overheard or were talking to me about things. And they were like, oh, I can't do that thing because I'm going to be at the recovery meeting. And I was like, this is wild to me that this is just like, everyone's just talking about this normally. And I was so impressed. And I think like more of that, please, more of this not needing to be like, oh, there's three of us and we have to go like hide in a hotel room versus like everyone's just over in like ballroom C. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of gotten to be cool to be sober, which is one of the reasons I think that my publisher gave me this book deal to write this book is because I think it's kind of um, of the now. Mocktails are really hot. and, And a lot of people, well, I don't know how many people, I haven't done a study, but I think that many people that, don't even necessarily have a problem with alcohol, but don't feel like alcohol is serving them to be successful or to do all the things they want to do and choose. People are choosing to be sober. Yeah. People are examining their drinking and trying to decide like, is this something that I need to be doing? Yeah. Or looking at how much they drink and making a conscious effort to drink less. Like, I think that's becoming normalized. I think so too. And I also think kind of like diet culture. I think people are a little bit like middle finger to the man on a lot on where they're like, hold on. Like I'm going on a diet because like this culture, that's a multi-billion dollar industry is saying like, I should be smaller, like screw you. And I think that's happening with alcohol too, where people are recognizing like, wait, like we're told that we're supposed to drink and the alcohol should be at every single thing and all, and it should be prioritized and all this. And like, wait, who do you think you are telling me that? Like, that's the, that's the culture I should subscribe to. And I, I think that's really great that people are not only like second guessing, it, but also like, that's super jacked up. <laughs> that's not what should be happening. And so I think that also lends to just, you know, a lot more openness and way less stigma around sobriety. I think that Holly Whitaker, who wrote quit like a woman, yes. I think was very much addressing that topic of just like, we don't have to drink because we're told that that's what's socially acceptable and that we're more fun when we drink and that, you know, we should, that we can only have fun at a wedding if we're drunk or we can only dance or we could only speak or we could only do stand up if we've had drinks. Like, yeah, it's not true. Yeah. I want to talk. I know we're getting tight on time here. I want to talk before I let you go about like, you have basically rebranded yourself from like sippy cups are not for Chardonnay and like the mom who goes on national television to talk about drinking and like every mom needs a cocktail to now being to, uh, you know, how seven years later, I think you said you last, your last book was to now being like, I now I would like to go on national TV and talk about sobriety. Is there anything you want to say about that shift in identity before we wrap up? Well, I think that you have to be open to growth and change. And for instance, I was a stand-up comic I had a baby later in life. And so then my whole identity shifted because I'm a funny person in naturally. I don't want to like compliment myself like that, but you know what I mean? Like I'll vouch for you. Yeah, she's very funny. Okay. I was always a, I was a comedy writer before I had kids. And then when I had a baby, my life, it was like an earthquake to my identity, to my life. And I really felt like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, am I just a mom? Yeah. Is that what I'm relegated to this other culture that I don't even feel like I fit in with. And so then I decided I'm going to start a blog and I'm going to put all these, I'm still the same person. You know, I'm just, Mm -hmm. I have edgy thoughts about being a mom and that's okay. And I don't have to be judged for that. So I wrote that book from the perspective of like, I don't care. And I'm not going to just be in that part of this, you know, just a mommy 
I'm going to like still have my personality and then do something, make it about parenting. So I feel like I did that. I've written three books about parenting and two memoir books. But when I stopped drinking, and yes, this was 14 years ago, it was in 2009, I got all this attention for it because I got basically outed in the New York Times. It was not my choice. I wasn't trying to get attention for being sober. I had just stopped drinking. My blog was very small. I had a really small blog. Like I had like 500 readers to the blog. It was nothing viral. It was like my own little space where I just wrote stuff. Anyway, I decided that it would be wrong to just continue blogging like nothing changed when I had this, made this monumental decision to quit drinking. Yeah. So I wrote about it. The New York Times parenting column picked up like somebody must have told them or I don't know, or she saw it and she addressed it in her column. And all of a sudden I was getting hit up for all these like media appearances having to do with being sober. I had quit drinking 10 days before. So I said, absolutely oh. not. Of course not. I have nothing to say about this, but it kept on, you know, apparently it was a big deal to people that I was the person that was like, rah, rah, yay, drinking is so yeah. fun as a mom. And now suddenly I'm saying like, I quit drinking. So I did eventually do like, I went on Dr. Oz and I went on 2020 and I did media appearances and I went on Katie Couric, which was a bad experience. Anyway, I realized that like, there's no hot, like, I mean, the sobriety thing stuck and like, yeah, I'm sober, but it occurred to me, like, why shouldn't I do the same thing with this? Like, you know, people being in recovery is like really boring. Like even the word sober, it has such a connotation of being like no fun mm -hmm. and like life is over. And also because so many people ask me about being sober and ask me like, do you think I need to quit drinking? And like, so I thought like, why not? It's not that I want to rebrand myself, but it was like, well, why not try to do for quitting drinking what I did for having a baby? Like, yeah, it's been yeah. long enough. It's been almost 15 years. Like, why not show that you can still be funny and have a sense of humor about it and be wry and like life is full of joy and, you know, acceptance and happiness and that quitting drinking didn't make my life suck except right. at the very beginning. So why not? Like, yeah, I, yeah. do I want to be like, oh, it's it's the alcoholic mom or it's the sober lady or whatever? Not necessarily, but I didn't also want to be the mom, like the person known only for being a mom either. Right. That makes total sense. I want to congratulate you on 14, almost 15 years. Like that is such a massive lifetime achievement. And whenever people, I know a number of people who celebrate sober anniversaries on social media in different ways. Mm -hmm. And all of them, like such a big deal, such a big deal. So congratulations on that and getting to this point Thank of like, you. kind of a, a full circle moment to be able to put this book out into the world. Thank you. Um, when you first started talking about writing another book, I think you were talking about on the podcast in like really general terms and you weren't talking about topics quite yet. And I was like, I hope it's going to be about this. So you both, you wrote the book everyone wants from you anyway. Well, I mean, I'm assuming I'm everyone. So oh, everyone well, wanted the book. People, I find that on For Crying Out Loud, Anytime I talk about addiction, which I do every so often, people seem to love it. Like people, yeah. I get a lot of private messages from people saying, thank you for talking about this. I feel seen. It helps me. I feel like I'm not alone. So it's like, well, then why not? If I have a lot, I felt, I felt like I have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Who is drunkish for who should go out and get the book? Well, 
drunkish is if you're at all thinking that you might drink too much, I think this is a good book to hear about somebody's experience that is probably like you. You know, I'm not, I think there needed to be a book for people that is that don't have a really bad rock bottom because it's so easy to just go, well, I would never do that. And that's not me. And that's not how I drink. So if you're just looking for a book that's kind of amusing and that maybe you can relate to, I think this is the book for you. It's for moms, but it's for really for anybody. And also maybe you just want to read about like a fucked up alcoholic. (laughs) I have read, so I'm not an addict, but the number of books I've read and memoirs about addicts. I recently was like, I think I only read memoirs written by addicts. <laughs> Why? Wow, what did that start? <laughs> well, you know from taking my class that Augustine Burroughs' book Dry is my all-time favorite book. Oh, so I was good. sober when I read that book. I, I read that in my twenties, and it was yes, my favorite book. Let, me too. Uh, yeah, so good. I um, read I, Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp many, 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 many years before I quit drinking, and I loved it. Yeah. So like something, why do we watch lifetime movies? Not because, <laughs> totally. right? Because we Not like because to we're living the story. Other people go through stuff. Totally. I also want to say, so for someone who might be struggling with their relationship with alcohol or you know, anything addictive, I think there's obviously a place for them to be reading this book. But I also think, and I don't know if this is the right word I was thinking while you were talking, like if you consider yourself a sober ally, <laughs> I put myself in that category, but I'm I love like, that. I'm like even a thing. Like I'm not sober. I don't struggle with addiction, but I have, you know, I've read a lot of memoirs. So, I'm, so I basically could lead AA meetings. But, yeah. um, Anybody can just be like, I'm fr- okay. I'm not an alcoholic myself, but I know this girl, Stephanie right. Taylor, and she's one. So, right. but in like, truthfully, I think that the more we can understand, and I've learned this so much through um, reading and listening to Laura Cathcart Robbins, our mutual friend, who's a big friend of the show um, and different people who've shared their stories so intimately, the more we can hear other people's stories around different lived experiences, the more we can then be sensitive and open and accepting. And like now when I host social events, I always like the first thing I say is like, please come to this thing. There's going to be snacks and food and non-alcoholic options and alcoholic options. Like I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to put the NA stuff first because those people never get seen or acknowledged. (laughs) I love that. I think it's just hearing stories. I think adds to our ability to be able to normalize this, you know, big spectrum of how people exist in different ways in the world and make it, you know, safer for everyone, but also um, more comfortable and joyful for everyone. I love that. So with all that, how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Well, it changes when your kids get older, but my oldest one reapplying for college, one of my younger ones getting her driver's license, you know what I'm doing to show up as a shameless mom? I'm trying to like stay out of everybody's business and I'm trying to control my controlling nature. I'm listening to you do this on a regular basis. I know you are. You're doing it so much better than I'm doing Oh, I'm, I'm not like, though. I'm, I'm going to have to re-listen to all of these past podcast episodes when Vinny goes through these things to be like, just back off, just back off. I'm also um, accepting the idea that I haven't been, and I never will be the let's all sit at the family table and have a meal together. It's mm. just, it, it's never been me. And I, I think I finally found acceptance that like I show up for my family in a different way. 
Like there's a lot of humor and a lot of love in our house, but there are no family meals in our house. If two people are sitting at the dining room table eating takeout, I'd consider that a success. So many listeners are like, oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) Everyone's canceling family dinners now. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. We're going to link everything up in the show notes. You are at stephaniewildertaylor.com, Stephanie with an F. Where can people find the book? Where can people buy Drunkish? You can buy Drunkish anywhere. I saw that it's going to be sold on Target online. Yes. Not Target in the store for some reason. They don't feel like it will sell well for them. Scrum. But, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any, hopefully all bookstores. Yes. And you did the your own audiobook, which thank you. I did. I, that makes so much is so much more enjoyable, especially if people already have an audio relationship with you. Like you can't have someone else then read your book. Yes. This has been so fantastic. Thank I'm you so, so excited. Much, Sarah. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to see the success of Drunkish. And then when you write the next book, you have to come back again and talk about it. Oh, okay. In like 20 years. <laughs> no, I'm gonna do some peer pressuring for it to be. Okay. Like in 18 we'll, months, we'll brainstorm some topics. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Stephanie. I so appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayeni, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. 
Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.